Hello, I'm Sandeep Tyagi. You're watching The Brand Called You. The brand today is Asim Chabra. Asim is the festival director of the New York Indian Film Festival. It's the largest and the oldest Indian film festival in North America. He is a film journalist in, based in New York City and New Delhi. He is published in New York Times, Boston Globe, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and several other publications in US and India. He's an author of uh, popular biographies on actors like Shashi Kapoor, Irfan Khan, and Priyanka Chopra. He's also done voiceover work uh, in a acclaimed movie, Sita Sings the Blues. He's got a degree in mass, a master's in journalism from Columbia and an MBA from Boston University. Welcome to the program, Asi. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's kick this off. Uh, New York Indian Film Festival. What is it? Uh, it's the oldest, but can you tell us a little bit about how did it come about and what does it uh, stand for? So there is an organization, in, it's an arts organization based in New York. It's called the Indo-American Arts Council, uh, which is about 23 or 24 years old. was started by a, a lady by the name of Arun Shivdasani, who has retired and a new group is now running the organization. And it's an umbrella arts organization that, that basically brings Indian arts in terms of cinema, in terms of music, in terms of dance. We often do theater, literature to the people of New York and beyond also uh, in the US and elsewhere. So it's an arts organization um, bringing Indian arts. Um, the film festival is set to be the crown of the, the jewel. Basically, it's the uh, most popular of all the programs. This is our 22nd year. Uh, it was originally started uh, by this lady, Arun Shivdasani, as an Indian diaspora film festival. So the first couple of years, she was basically only showing films made by Indians living perhaps in the US, uh, I mean, Indian Americans or British Indians or Can Canadian Indians. Um, but it sort of, over a period of time, it evolved. And uh, now it's a festival that... Um, brings to the people of New York uh, the best of independent cinema from India in all languages, various languages. I mean, this year, for instance, our festival starts on May 7th. We have films in 13 Indian languages, including Hindi mm. and including even English, actually. It's an Indian language. Uh, so this would not be the normal uh, big production house movies no. uh, that you would get, uh, what what would be some of the interesting ones that you you've so, brought uh, to the audience in New York recently? Let me correct you. The big production house films, you know, the big Shah Rukh Khan and Salman Khan films, etc. Those get theatrical releases in New York City. And right. across, you know, wherever the diaspora population is, and even, you know, non-Indians go to see that. So we don't need to bring that. What, what we bring to the audience is, is cinema that is not available. I mean, you have streaming services now uh, and they'll show some independent films but we'll you know we've shown over a period of time uh, films like you know we we, we had the premiere of uh, New York premiere of uh, Mira Nair's uh, Monsoon Wedding Mira Nair's The Namesake um, smaller independent films uh, not smaller necessarily Anurag Kapsha's Gangs of Wasipur which is a five hour long uh, two part film which he came brought from the Cannes Film Festival um, films like Shahid range of films in different languages, in Marathi, in Malayalam, in, in Kannada, in, in, in Telugu, uh, Assamese, Bengali, um, films that now 
you know, earlier these films used to get uh, uh, OTT uh, release, but now Netflix and, and Amazon Prime have also become very particular in terms of they want only bigger name films because they just basically want, you know, a lot more eyeballs. So a lot of the independent filmmakers are struggling because they don't have um, a year-round mm. uh, streaming services. And a festival like ours becomes very, very important. That's why. Um, we were the first and not, in North America. Now there are quite a few Indian and South Asian film festivals in the US and Canada and in the UK, uh, going to you know, Australia. There, there, nobody was doing Indian film festivals um, in early 2000. In fact, the festival started in 2001, uh, just a couple of months. It was in November 2001, a couple of months after 9-11, because Mayor uh, Rudy Giuliani at that time basically asked New Yorkers, to come out and go to arts events because people were so afraid of just stepping out of their homes. And the mm -hmm. idea basically was to, maybe arts is what will bring people in, uh, into theaters. And that's how, you know, people started coming to theaters, people started going to baseball games, uh, everything is shut down in, in New York City. It started with that, it's evolved over a period of time. Sure, sure. Is it uh, a good mix of people of Indian origin and others, or is it a big festival celebrating uh, just Indians getting to in Indian origin people getting together in New York City? Well, it's it's a both. I mean, a primary audience, of course, is uh, people of Indian origin uh, living in New York City. They could be people who were born there, second generation, first generation students who are uh, in New York. But New York, being a particular, is a very particular, uh, peculiar animal. It's a city where uh, people of different ethnicities, whether they're white or Latino or black or, or hate, you know, whatever ethnic background they come from, they tend to go out, especially when it comes to arts and cinema, they come to see films of different uh, ethnic sure. backgrounds and different national, national cinemas. Um, and so I, I, at any point in time, New York City has a film festival going on. It can be a German film festival. It can be a Jewish film festival. It can be an American film festival. We run an Indian film festival. And there are people who are interested in Indian cinema who have nothing to do with India otherwise, do come and see our films. And that's why, you know, the whole idea basically is to reach out. We get support from the New York State and New York City, mm -hmm. the, the arts organizations, for this very reason, that we're bringing Indian arts, uh, Indian cinema to New Yorkers. Um, you also have written biographies on some pretty well-known uh, actors and actresses, uh, Irfan and Priyanka and Shashi Kapoor. That's a broad range. Um, what, uh, what were some of the memorable takeaways from, uh, from that journey? Uh, of course, these are people who are well covered across media and social um, channels all the time. But uh, was book writing, did you get to go any deeper? Did you find anything interesting uh, that is probably not as apparent or well-known uh, to the common um, mass image of these people? So in each of the three cases, um, uh, I mean, you know, you, you set to write a book and then you, you, the thought and ideas evolve over a period of a year and a half to two years by the time the book is published and, you know, in Shashin Kapoor's case, when I started to work on the book initially itself, I realized I mean, Shashin Kapoor was al alive then. This is I started working in 2014, 2015. He was alive, but he was very unwell. And he had been completely out of public eye. Other than if people would go to Mumbai and then they would go to the, the uh, Prithvi Theatre, 
you would see Shashi Kapoor sitting in a, on a wheelchair there every day. His family would just bring him there because it, it made him feel better. But Shashi Kapoor's last films were sometimes in, in the late 1990s. And he had also put on a lot of weight at that time because of his, his drinking problems he had. As compared to that, Amitabh Bachchan, who was almost his contemporary, even continues to act even until now. Amitabh has also had major health problems, but his mind and, you know, otherwise his body is, is fine. So you talk to young kids, um, you know, people in their teens or something like that, they, they'll know who Amitabh Bachchan is. If they don't watch Amitabh Bachchan's films, they would have watched Amitabh Bachchan doing a cement ad or some ad on, you know, on television or in movie theaters. Shashi, nobody knew. So it was a task. The whole idea was basically, and then you would, if you ask people of a certain generation, they'd be like, oh yeah, Shashi Kapoor, Divar. Of course we know Divar. But I wanted to go beyond that. I wanted to explore Shashi Kapoor, the genuine artist. I mean, the influence that, that his wife had on him, his father-in-law and father had on him, the theater background of Shashi Kapoor that led him to actually, in addition to doing popular mainstream films, uh, the theater background led him to actually produce some really good quality films, act in films outside of the mainstream Bollywood cinema. So he did a bunch of films with his um, team called Merchant Ivory Productions in the US. Mm -hmm. he, did, he did films in the, in, in the UK because I, he was always hungry to do you know, something good in terms of art and, and as an actor. Um, mm -hmm. Money was not a consideration for him because he was getting money by doing all the Bollywood films in any case. Mm -hmm. And that was a very interesting you know, th thing to really go through the whole process about uh, discovering this man by talking to so many people who had worked with him, directors who had worked with him, actors who had worked with him, uh, you know, fans of his. It was fascinating. Your Priyanka story I found very interesting. Um, so so was, before you go to Priyanka, uh, Seem, do you, did you find or do you, have you seen you know, because actors and sports people are people who get tremendous fame and exposure when they're very young, in their 20s. And many of them fade from the public eye in dramatic ways uh, in their late 50s or, uh, or certainly later. What does that do? Did you see anything interesting there uh, in your experience? Well, Shashi was a very rare case, basically, because Shashi's father had a lot of influence on him because Shashi, Shashi quit school at the age of 15 or 16 or something like that and joined his father's theatre company. But his father said, look, just because you're my son doesn't mean that I'll, you're going to start to get lead roles. You have mm -hmm. to start from the bottom. And so Shashi worked with all the other workers, basically, picking up lights, picking up you know, electricity, wood, whatever, you know, costumes. Um, it gave him a very solid grounding. And, and, and so, and then Shashi also went through, when he became an actor initially, he went through major struggle. Just because he was Raj Kapoor's son, just because he was Prithi Raj Kapoor's son, meant nothing. He was not getting work. And he desperately needed work because he was already married and he had a kid, you know. Uh, but all of this kept Shashi Kapoor very grounded and very humble, including also the interest in theatre. Um, it's, 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 it's a known fact and I was told by quite a few people that Shashi would be one of the first to turn up on the set at 9 in the morning and he would walk to every electrician every technician and he would shake hands with them and in Hindi would, he would say Mera naam Shashi Kapoor hai. You know, I'm, my, my name is Shashi Kapoor mm -hmm. and he would sit and have tea with them. I mean, big stars these days and I don't have to name them Bollywood stars they just they have these vanity vans and they just go sit in their vans and that's where they eat and they, be, they have fans coming or whatever it is 
no interest in the technician but shashi was very very connected to all of them shashi was known mm. to also throw he would very he had very open big lavish parties for uh, his crew so he produced a film called 36 chorangi lane which was directed by aparna sen and the film was being shot in calcutta shashi meanwhile was doing a film of his in in mumbai so he was not there during the shoot but every weekend saturday sunday shashi would fly to calcutta and throw a lavish party for the entire crew basically uh because uh, he wanted them to feel that they are very very important something yeah yeah and that's very, that, that's really fantastic about him really um and, and but towards uh, uh when when he was not in the limelight and uh, uh i guess you were hearing about him or interacting when he was um had gained weight and was coming at that time um does the personality itself change the experience change so shashi's wife died at a very early age of cancer um mm-hmm. in 1984 mm-hmm. and that he was they were like really in love with each other and that completely broke shashi and he started drinking a lot mm. and to the extent that he was drinking one bottle of vodka a day mm. and i talked to some people uh his daughter is the one who told me one vodka a day but and she said we would call people we would ask his friends please come over give him company so that maybe he would not drink but the story goes that he would be sitting and he would finish his glass of vodka and one of the domestic help would come and refill his glass um mm. but it was that drinking uh that made him balloon up now as it happened in fact after he gained weight also he did some of his best work he in the early 90s acted in a film called in custody uh, based on a novel by anita desai which is mile merchant uh, directed was a story of a fading um, urdu uh, poet mm-hmm. that in bhopal and because of shashi's weight and his his condition itself he was a perf- he fit into the role perfectly well and also gave a remarkable remarkable performance um you know he didn't fade away i mean financially uh, he suffered quite a bit because he produced six films and they most of them lost money and huge amounts of money you know it was huge amounts of money in the 80s i mean we talk about 30 plus years ago now um but as i said uh, you know uh, while he stopped acting and then his health you know started deteriorating in, in this century you know he started uh, dementia and other things were affecting him every evening because he lived with his son right behind prithvi theater one of the helpers would just wheelchair him and make him sit in the um in the cafe area of prithvi theater and people would walk up and smile and i don't know how much it registered in his mind but i think it was good for his sanity good for his yeah. general well being so he Very was there other mm. than the fact that he couldn't act anymore he couldn't speak he didn't recognize sure. people often it's sad sure. Uh, sure. that's yeah. really sad decline I I stopped you when you were starting to talk about Priyanka. Let's go there. So the Priyanka story I found fascinating um because of the fact that she came from a middle class army family. She spent a couple of years in America when she was a teenager because she lived with her aunt and she went to schools in Iowa and then Massachusetts and then Queens in New York. But um essentially and then she came back uh in Bareilly where her father was posted. It, uh, he was a, he was a doctor in the army. Um she entered the miss uh, india contest at the age of 17 and what i found fascinating was how a girl from a small town can come she came with her mother to mumbai learn the 
tricks and everything else, and then gets uh, selected as Miss India, wins the Miss India crown, goes on to contest the Miss World, and then Miss wins the Miss World crown also at the age of 18. I mean, all of this happened to her. And then mm -hmm. she moves, you know, with the natural transition is that all of these people, then uh, these young women, girls, they get into film industry. She started getting offers to act in films. Um, her, her acting skills were very, very uh, weak at that time. But over a period of time, her acting uh, evolved and she became a very, very fine actress in Bollywood and became a big star. Mm -hmm. But then she gave it all up mm -hmm. because she wanted more in life. She first tried to start her music career in the U.S which didn't go anywhere. And at that time, she was still doing some Bollywood films. And then through uh, some contacts and through her people who are managing her career, managed to get a role um, in the show called Quantico, yeah. which was never, never well received. It was an ABC show, it was a primetime show. It was ne never well received by critics. Um, it did fairly well in the first um, se uh, season. Second season, the rating went down. They did get renewed for third season, but then it was canceled midway. Um, mm. But because she was doing that, she had to give up. You know, television requires you have to stay on in America a mm -hmm. longer, you know, a long period of time. So she had to give up her Bollywood acting career. She's still she's mm -hmm. about to do another Bollywood film. She did one three four years ago. But of course, since then she got married and is now living in the U.S. Um, I found it fascinating how you become a star in India from a very sort of a middle class family. Mm -hmm. And then give it all up and then become a star again in another country where nobody mm -hmm. knows you. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew who Priyanka Chopra was five, six years ago. When Quantico started in 2015, nobody knew who she mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's remarkable. Right now, she's a very, very well-known. She's not a Meryl Streep. She's not a, Ju a Julia Roberts in terms of acting skills, etc. She hasn't reached there. I don't know if she'll get there or not. But she's very well-known. And she's mm -hmm. producing work. She's a magazine covers. She was on... Uh, talk shows. Uh, I think Graham, uh, Oscar present, presentation. Presented Oscar, she presented uh, uh, Golden Globes. Uh, mm -hmm. She's, you know, walking red carpet. Uh, so that Very story, I think, is a really interesting story. Uh, which, yeah. uh, you know, and I, so I had done some of that research before. I'd talked to her manager and agent and even her when her music career was starting. Like, where are you going? How are you bringing a person who nobody in America knows mm -hmm. and giving her, she was a Thursday night NFL, you know, she had a song there mm -hmm. and she faced a lot of racism at that time uh, because a lot of people said, who's this, you know, because all the uh, pop singers at that time were blonde white girls and this was not a blonde white girl for you. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was an interesting story. Um, the Irfan story was also, it's, it, it, Sort of similar to Shashi Kapoor, Irfan struggled, came from a, a middle class, educated middle class family in Jaipur, went to National School of Drama, and then he wanted to get into films, and it took him 10 years to get into films. He struggled a lot. And mm -hmm. by struggle means financially, he was okay because he was doing television. He got a lot of mm -hmm. television work, but it was not satisfying him. And then he got some very big, uh, very, not big, but interesting breaks as an artist. That mm -hmm. at a certain stage, he felt that he wanted to do more. And that's why he started slowly taking up work outside uh, India, in Hollywood. Um, mm -hmm. It was earlier with films like A Mighty Heart and Slumdog Millionaire. And then because of the fact that Hollywood began to recognize him, he acted in a, a couple of uh, major franchise movies. He was in Jurassic World. He was one of the uh, Spider-Man films. Um, he did some un uh, indie work also in, 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 um, 
in Hollywood. Wiley kept coming back to um, uh, to the U.S. India. What was interesting was it's not something I planned, but all the three actors that I, I wrote about, and there are only three biographies, three books I've written, all transitioned, crossed over to become actors in the U.S. in the mm -hmm. West. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something that drew me to their stories, other than the fact that, especially Irfan and Shashi Kapoor, I was very attracted to them as actors. You know, I was very, very big fans. But I was, because I was living in America, I was already observing, and a lot of my work as a journalist, uh, even film festival, is, you know, when I'm bringing Indian arts to Americans, I'm also sitting in America, and I'm also trying to observe, you know, Indians who, as, as actors who made it in, in the West, what, what are the hurdles they have to overcome, um, in terms of cinema, how does Hollywood represent India? How do Bollywood films show American right. culture? So it's it's a, it's all a part of that, and it wasn't like a, a conscious decision in any step that this is the life I want to choose, but it just happened right. organically. That's not interesting. Um, the uh, Besides your biography, I noticed in 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 your profile that you have done some voiceover work in yeah. in a well-known movie called Sita Sings the Blues. Um, the voiceover work has increased dramatically. Every movie that uh, Netflix and Prime produces now, every show they produce, they get it uh, dubbed immediately into twenty-plus languages. And, um, but what are the challenges? Is it easy to be able to get into that uh, mode and get the right emotion when you are not even face to face with uh, somebody else or you're not even, uh, you know, acting it out, so to say? So, actually, I may not be the right person to answer this question, and I'll tell you why. And let me first talk about Sita Singh the Blues. It's a very well known, uh, it's, it's a rather successful animation film that looks like Ramayana and Sita's story from a feminist point of view, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's made by an American Jewish um, uh, animator, Nina Paley, who had some experience and had read a lot of Ramayana and basically, you know, felt that Sita was shortchanged and there were times when it was the fact that Ram put her to tests and things like that a few times, mm -hmm. you know, exiled her. Um, so Nina had a different stage, and, and a big part of Sita Singh the Blues, by the way, is this jazz music that Nina has has gotten from the 1920s. They were the uh, German-American uh, singer called Annette uh, Winshaw, whose music she used in the film. Um, there was some animation style there. There were different animation styles, but basically, what she wanted was she wanted to tie up the story of Ramayana, and she asked three people. Myself and a filmmaker who's uh, sadly passed away, a man called Manish Acharya and another a woman, Bhavna, basically to sit in a studio. So mm -hmm. we did not have any prepared script. The other mm -hmm. voiceover artists did have prepared scripts. What she did was basically, she used three shadow puppets, uh, one from Thailand, one from Cambodia, one from Indonesia, to give the sense that the traditional Ramayana had traveled across to these Southeast Asian countries also. Mm -hmm. And we were the voices of the shadow puppet. They were almost like what they call the sutradhars in, in Hindi uh, theater, um, where she asked us questions about who was Dashrath, how many wives, how many children. And we just spoke. And she, had, she didn't want any of us to come prepared. Um, 
at times we were funny at times you know we were respectful at times we questioned the decisions taken by these characters many people consider them as gods um a lot of jews in america actually i mean indians love the film of course it's, it it was a huge success event it it, it, it premiered at the berlin, berlin film festival where it wore a, a, a silver crystal bear and went across the world to about over 100 film festivals i traveled with the film to shanghai um and to france for instance um but a lot of the jewish people for instance like the film because apparently a lot of jews also especially on sabbath day after they've had a meal they sit and discuss the the torah and the, and the religions you know we while we were being respectful to these uh, the, the the characters we started talking to about them ram sita lakshman hanuman etc as if they were people we knew mm. why did they do something mm-hmm. this understanding without mm-hmm. attempting to hurt any religious sentiments or something like that the whole idea behind it was that really understand the motives and motivations of how characters behave and why they behave and as i said mm. of course it it is a feminist take on on ramayana sure. um the films available on, on on youtube people can watch it and uh yeah. i certainly intend to do that sounds yeah. very interesting the yeah. combination of a ramayana story and jazz music and yeah. a different take it it sounds interesting yeah um well let's transition to a bit of your personal journey uh, tell us about your childhood where did you grow up who were some of the big influences as a child on you I was born in New Delhi. I was born in Old Delhi, actually. Uh, but at a very early age, my father uh, moved us to South Delhi. We grew up in Defence College, then we moved to South Extension. That's where I grew up. Um, my parents technically came as refugees. My mother was from Kashmir. After partition, she and her family moved to Delhi because of the riots that were happening. And my father's family actually came from what is now Pakistan and mm-hmm. made their home as the hundreds and thousands of refugees that came from. Mm-hmm. what is also then called west punjab mostly uh influences i think my parents without my even realizing had huge influences my interest in arts and cinema for instance comes directly from my mother she would uh, read a lot of uh, bengali literature in hindi and over lunch she would just narrate stories to us and you know um while i was interested in popular cinema my, my mother was also giving me a taste of gurudas films and Rishikesh Mukherjee's films. There was a very different kind of cinema than the big mainstream uh, popular cin- cinema was, um, mm-hmm. and so at a very early age itself, I, I began to uh, admire and appreciate uh, storytelling and narration, and that's what led me to then sort of becoming a film journalist also and writing about films and doing programming films. So my dad was a journalist. Um, he uh, was a expert in african studies africa uh, so he was one of the few african experts in india and spent a lot of time working on india's relationships with african countries especially in the early 1950s and 60s when india was one of the first countries to become independent uh, from the british rule and jawaharlal nehru at that time was very actively involved in you know helping the freedom movements in east africa for instance many years later when south africa was trying to break its from self from shackles of uh, of um, of apartheid my father was writing a lot about that uh, mm. later when nelson mandela became the prime president my dad met nelson mandela he traveled to africa a lot so 
um, while I did not do anything much with Africa, I became a journalist, but, but definitely inspired by my father. But I, you took journalism from your dad, movies from your mom, and became a film journalist. Well, so initially when I came to America, I came in 1981, and I, I went to Columbia Journalism School. Uh, my training was in political journalism. And mm. also, this was, I'm, I'm talking about the early to mid-80s when there were no internet, no computers. We were type, using typewriters. Uh, it was print journalism, basically. Mm-hmm. Even at that time itself, I was transitioning to doing more and more film-related, not necessarily reviews, but interviews with filmmakers, mm-hmm. uh, interviews with actors. Um, that's something I used to enjoy a lot, which I continue mm-hmm. doing even now. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, what, what is the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice, I think the best advice is something that I had to give to myself. Mm-hmm. that you have to follow where your passion is, where your dreams are. Um, I was interested in films even from a very young age. And my father didn't want me to be a part of the film industry. I even applied for the Pune Film Institute before I came to America. And my dad was dead against it. And then there was a strike going on there. So my dad was very relieved. Okay, you know, you applied fine. Okay, now do this and kind of thing. Um, but on my own, through journalism, transitioning to film journalism, transitioning then to also, I, I used to go to a lot of film festivals and then approaching a film festival, New York Indian Film Festival, asking them, can I be in your programming committee? I first became a programmer. And then at some stage when this position of the festival director opened up, I asked, can I become the festival director? So again, I'm not, I wasn't charting my life. It wasn't something I was thinking, okay, that's my next stage in life. But I was doing something where my passion was. Yeah. And it led me to where I was. And then, you know, by sheer chance, I happened to be visiting India at that time. And I was having lunch with some friends um, at, a, at, a, at a very interesting restaurant. And one of the uh, persons I met there was a, was a writer. And then she became a, a book publisher. And she approached me and she said, you're interested in films. You write about films. Would you like to write a biography. Just like that, this idea and offer came. It took still a while to figure out that I was going to write on Shashi Kapoor and then the other books as well. But I also believe, strongly believe that if you want to do something really, if you really want that, I mean, this is sort of a cliche kind of thing. The universe, the world will work, you know, in your favor. There are people over a period of time, I've had editors, I've had bosses who helped me, support me, supported me because they believed in me. Because they believed mm-hmm. in uh, my passion, but they also had seen what results I was generating. And so they gave me more and more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to For follow. Passion, particularly in a career uh, of a journalist and a freelancer, and um, is, is I, I guess, a, uh, needs that perseverance to go through uh, of um, ups and downs. So... And that advice you got from yourself, that's, um, that's remarkable. Uh, the next section here, Asim, is um, quick reactions to some question I'm gonna ask you. Uh, let's start with a very simple one. Which movie can you watch over and over and over again? Oh my God, that's a tough question, but uh, a Hollywood film that I've watched many times, two Hollywood films I've watched many times. One's Godfather, I can even, narrate the dialogues. I just saw it recently again in India again. It was the 50th anniversary. And Chinatown, which I think is very, very well constructed, very well written. Um, Chinatown? A Hollywood movie, Chinatown? 
Yes, the one with Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway is Roman Polanski. It's, it's, a, okay. it's a brilliant story about corruption in Los Angeles in the 1930s, in, in, in the, in the police force, and um, it's very, very well made. Um, okay. One, um, which actor or actress would you like to go and have dinner with? You know, I wish I could have had dinner with the, uh, Irfan Khan, really, because I mean, I, I, I met Irfan Khan um, a few times, interviewed him, and then he fell sick when I started working on his book, and then I kept hoping he'll get well. In my career, by the way, uh, in, in my life, I've had dinners with some well-known actors and, and uh, you know, actors and actresses and filmmakers. I, so it's not, I still get excited. I had a, a meal and, and drinks with Manoj Vajpayee about a month ago, he was shooting a film and he, he WhatsApped me and I still get excited to meet them because there's a fan in me also. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it, it's at a very different level. Um, right. But, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, for instance, as a director, I would have loved to have had a meal with him. Hmm. Very interesting. Very different. Uh, um, you've kind of picked two very... Uh, Alfred Hitchcock is very iconic, but uh, interesting to hear that you've put uh, Irfan Khan in the same... Oh, Irfan uh, was one of the best India has produced as an actor. What made you laugh out loud last time? <laughs> That's a very tough question. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing now. Um, yeah. you, know, but you know, kind of like uh, really in splits. What did you find funny? I'm trying to think about some Bollywood film that I, I, I saw this, this wonderful film that made me cry a lot also called Badaido. It has mm. some very, very funny moments in it. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily like Bollywood humor a lot, but every on a rare occasion, you know, I'll come across a film then, and, and I... The first time I, I watched it again on a laptop with a cousin, but the first time I watched it in a movie theater alone. And there is a certain, it's a very weird feeling to be laughing alone. But there were some other people around me, random people I didn't know, who were also mm. laughing. Badai was a funny movie. Yeah. Nina Gupta and... Uh, uh... No, that was Badai Do. Uh -huh. Which one are you talking no, about? No, that was Badai Ho. This is Badai right. Do, the new one with, 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 uh, with Rajkumar Rao. And uh, it's okay. about... It's about a, a, a gay man and a lesbian woman, and they get in, into a marriage of convenience. Uh, okay, understood. In a small right. town in India, in 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 uh, in Dehradun. Understood. Okay. Um, last question of this type: If you have a free afternoon, you know you had a big planned event, a movie festival got cancelled, you find yourself with a totally free afternoon. What would you do? I can go sit in a coffee shop. And Delhi has beautiful lot of coffee shops. It's very, very hot these days. That's the other story. But I can go sit in a coffee shop and quietly, if I have a book or I just have my phone, and I'm very active in social media, on Twitter, on, on Facebook, especially Twitter, I can spend the whole afternoon just observing people and uh, looking at my phone. But mm. if I also have a free afternoon, I can just go to a movie theater and watch a film alone. I love watching films. <laughs> I and love I love watching, watching films. So it's got, there are, I, I see films often not for work, not for the film festival, not because I'm going to write about them, but because I just, right. it's, a, it, it's something that I have a passion for. Gives you pleasure. Um, the very last question, Asim, what is Bran Asim Chabra in your own words? That's a very tough question. It's a very interesting question, really. Um, 
So there is a brand, Asim Chabra, that has been built. I'm aware of that. Uh, you know, I have like almost 50,000 followers on Twitter, which is not as big as you know, somebody like Narendra Modi or some very well-known people, but it's still substantial. People trust my, my instincts. People trust my advice. I'm constantly advising people on what films to watch. I'm constantly advising people on what shows to watch. I just happen to have access to information, especially when I'm sitting in India, I have access to information about films and shows being released in America. I've been to film festivals. I'm going to New York next week. And then from, uh, from in, in 10 days, I'm going to go to the Cannes Film Festival. And so I think whatever the brand is, it's a, it's a trustworthy brand where people believe in my my suggestions and recommendations so so the brand asim chabra is your entertainment sherpa that's a wonderful way to put it i'm going to use that now <laughs> <laughs> thank you asim thank you so much for talking for us this is fascinating very different part of the world and universe that you occupy and uh, enjoyed uh, learning about all your experiences and thank you for coming on the show thank you very much i really enjoyed it thank you Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.